to Hebrews chapter 3 for our scripture reading. Hebrews chapter 3. So we again are in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7, read to the end of the chapter. Verse 7 says, That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts will always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who, made, and who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it those who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for mornings like this. We thank you for days like this where we can come and worship, where we can come and worship with our brothers and sisters and we can glorify your name. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, speaking to those who have come before us so that we may know you. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the peace that you offer us. As it is written in this scripture we just read, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity and Lord, I ask that uh, we would not be like those who missed out. Lord, as Pastor Doug comes and preaches to us from this word, we ask that you would convict our hearts, that we may apply this to our lives, that we may go and find your rest. This week, this month, and for the rest of this year and the rest of our lives, Lord, help us to believe. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right about now, you're all wondering, are we in the right church? Uh, we've messed you up this morning. We, we didn't sing two more songs. They're, they're coming. They're all coming. We're all coming. I'm, I'm aware very much that, especially in my own life, that sometimes familiarity can breed contempt. And this is a passage that is very familiar to us, but I didn't want it to be just, oh well. So we're taking a, a different turn here today. This is the second warning in the book of Hebrews. The first one is in chapter 2, where the writer of Hebrews tells us be careful that you don't drift away. And we looked at what that meant. 
It means to become complacent. It, it, it means to be satisfied for where we are and, and not looking forward to where God wants to take us. Uh, this morning, it's a little bit harsher. It's beware. And beware of hard-heartedness. Isn't it interesting that drifting can produce hard-heartedness? Drifting and complacency can dull our senses, especially our spiritual senses, to become that complacent that no longer are we willing to listen to the voice of God. But before we get into all of that, there is something that I, I need to address and hopefully do it biblically so that it's correct. It's something that a thought that has plagued the church for many years. The thought is this, that the Old Testament promised land is equal to New Testament heaven. I'm here to tell you that's incorrect. That's incorrect. And now you're all looking at me like deer that just been struck with headlights. Let me give you an example biblically by what I mean by that. You're going to need to turn to Exodus chapter 34. I'm sorry, not Exodus, Deuteronomy, forgive me. Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you get the Exodus, just go write a few books and you'll get to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 34. In the first five verses, we have the biblical correction of a historical inaccuracy. If Old Testament promised land is the same as New Testament heaven, then we've got to address an issue. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, the first five verses, I'll not read them for you, but let me quickly highlight what he's talking about. Moses is taken by God up to the mountain known as Pisgah. Now, Pisgah is an interesting mountain because it was high enough where God showed Moses all of the promised land. He was able to view it. But if you get back down to, and now we will read for you in verse 4. The Lord said to him, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. So far, we don't have a problem. But verse 5, there's a huge problem. I have let you see it with your own eyes. But you will not cross into it. And now we know why Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. He disobeyed God. 
In an instance where God told him to speak to a rock to produce water for the children of Israel in their journey, Moses was that frustrated, and I'm sure none of you have ever been that way, but Moses was that frustrated that he took his staff and he beat it. And God said, because of that, you are not going to go into the promised land. Now, if Old Testament promised land is New Testament heaven, that means Moses didn't make heaven. Are you okay with that? Well, you shouldn't be, because now you've got to turn to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to let Scripture speak to Scripture. Matthew chapter 17, and in verses 1 to 4. Matthew chapter 17 is the place that we know of as what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's where Peter, James, and John take a trip with Jesus to a high mountain. Now they don't get to see the promised land. But what they get to see is the glory of heaven. Now, the Mount of Transfiguration is speaking of Jesus literally being transfigured, being changed into the very glory that is his in heaven. But who shows up there? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. If Old Testament promised land is New Testament heaven, Moses wasn't allowed to go in Old Testament promised land. But where did he come from to the Mount of Transfiguration? I guarantee you he did not come from hell. He came from heaven. So what are we trying to say? When you read in the Old Testament concerning promised land, it is a land of God's blessing. I have no problem with trying to correlate the promised land with heaven as far as some of the blessings that we will have when we get to heaven. But they are not the same. They are not the same. Glad I got that off my chest. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Given the Jewish background of his audience, the author was always eager to summon testimony from the Old Testament. In particular, its language and images that the author of the book of Hebrews would allude to immediately became familiar to the Jewish people. 
Gentiles may not have known exactly what the writer was talking about, but the Jewish individuals whom the book was written to would have known exactly what the author is referring to. The author writes from a book or from an event that is highlighted in Psalm 95. In Psalm 95, it's interestingly enough that as the author of Hebrews is writing, Psalm 95 has already been written. And so for us to understand what Psalm 95 was about, we've got to go back there. Psalm 95, please. You're getting your spiritual exercise this morning. Psalm 95. First thing you'll notice is that this particular psalm does not say who wrote it. You will not find any allusion to its author. We don't know for sure. We may want to conjecture it could have been something David wrote about because it talks about worship. The first few verses from verse 1 down to verse 5 talk about worship and what we should do. But when you go down to the uh, verse uh, 6, it says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture, the sheep under His care. Today, if you will hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day in Massah in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts Go astray, they do not know my ways, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. What a way to close a worship passage. In other words, if we're not willing to worship the Lord our God, not just on Sunday mornings, oh, I'm so glad you're here this morning, but not just on Sunday mornings, if we are not willing to present ourselves as worship temples, which is our reasonable service, Romans chapter 12, then we ultimately can fall to what the writer of Hebrews and Psalm has told us to beware. It's called hard-heartedness. A hard heart. A hard heart is an individual believer person who, for some reason, 
has determined that God has not met their expectations, and so I have nothing to do with him at all for the rest of my life. Now, we got to be careful here. We got to be careful. Both the writer of Psalm 95 and the writer of Hebrews 3 is not talking about salvation. They're talking about rest. Rest. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3. So the writer of Hebrews is very correct when he begins in chapter seven or chapter three, verse seven, when he says, "The Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit said." Well, we know that Second Timothy, chapter three, verse sixteen, reminds us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so he's correct in highlighting the fact that this is what the Holy Spirit said. Even back then, and it's applicable to today. Well, both Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 introduce two places that we have to journey. They speak of Meribah and Massah, two words that are translated in the Hebrew to the English meaning test and quarrel. They tested me, God said, and then they quarreled against me. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of worship, does it? They tested me, and they quarreled against me. When did that happen? If you're inclined to like history like I do, you would be amazed if you would go back and trace the steps of the Exodus. For we do know that Moses, called by God, chapter 3, was to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt to a promised land. And so... When you trace the Exodus, especially when you get to chapter 11, chapter 12, and the people are on the move. About 1.5 million people on the move. They're leaving Egypt. In fact, they're leaving the land of Goshen. That's where they first came in, in the book of Genesis where Joseph had established a place for his brothers and their families and his dad. They were given the land of Goshen, but in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, it says there's a new king in town, and he has no idea who God is. And so he makes it rough for the children of Israel. They're there for 400 years, and they wonder, does God really care? Have you ever found yourself in that kind of a life situation? It may not be you not there for 400 years. I really don't know what a 400-year person looks like. But you feel that it's been 400 years. And you wonder, does God care? 
Yes, he does. Yes, he, and that's part of what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. But as you trace this journey, you'll find out that God did not take them the quick way. If they would have come from the land of Goshen, which is the northern part of Egypt, right close to the Red Sea, God brought them through the Red Sea, but then they had him go, they had him go south, down the Sinai Peninsula, to an area called the Mountain of God. If they would have continued in a straight line, they would have made the promised land in about two weeks of walking. But God said, I'm not taking them that way. That's the way of the Philistines. And my people are not ready for war. So he took them a longer journey. Have you ever argued with God about that? Wait a minute. I want to get from A to B. There's nothing worse than traveling on a turnpike and all of a sudden you've got to exit someplace that you don't want to be because there's an accident ahead. Wait a minute, I got to get to A to B. I, I, I don't want to bypass. And so we have this argument, not you, you're more spiritual than me. I have this argument with God. And they say something like this. Why did that person cause an accident? Doesn't he know I got to get to B? Then life never really happens that way, does it? I think if you were to take a piece of paper and map your life, you would find that there are instances where you had to take a detour. Either God was protecting you or he was about to teach you something that really you really didn't want to learn, but it was for your own good. The nation of Israel took a southern detour to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula, and there is where they met God. It's where they got the Ten Commandments. Moses up on the hill, you all remember that? Someone shake their head, yes, please. Okay, good, okay. I heard the rattling, we're good, okay. They got the message from God. And then God began to send them on their journey. They get to the entrance of the promise. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Now you got to turn to Exodus chapter, if you would please, Exodus chapter 17. The place of testing and grumbling. Exodus 17. Verses 1 to verse 7. The people have a problem. They're thirsty. They're thirsty. They got no water. 
and it doesn't look like in the area that they are that there's much opportunity to fill their water bottles. The entire community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next morn according to the Lord's command. They capped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people, help me out, what's the next word, people? Complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? Ah, there's our word. But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Let me just pause here for a second. Have you ever doubted the promises of God? Let me take a quick uh, test. All of you have. All of you have. When things don't work out the way we think they should, God, what are you doing? This isn't a, by the way, remember the New Testament disciples who were Jesus in a boat? And Jesus said, we're going over to the other side. Then he takes a nap. And the disciples say to him, don't you care that we die? I wonder if they just maybe had read the night before Exodus chapter 17. Moses, you've brought us out here to die. It would have been better for us to be back in Egypt. Oh, how quickly we forget the blessings that God has released us from the, from the clutches of evil. And why is it that that's the place we're always going to go back to when things aren't going our way? They tested God. Moses wonderfully said, look, boys, you're not complaining against me. You're complaining against God. Moses goes to God and said, what should I do? God gives Moses instructions you see that rock over there? I want you to bring leaders from the, from the tribes of Israel and come and gather them around you because water is about to come from that rock. Can you imagine how much water does it take to satisfy 1.5 million people, especially from a rock? That tells me that God can do things beyond our understanding. To meet our needs. But you'll notice down in verse 7. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he named the place Massah and Meribah. Because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? 
Do you care or not? The writer of Psalm 95 and the writer of Hebrews chapter 3 brings this to the forefront. For he says, today, if you will not harden your heart as they did at Messiah and Meribah, don't do that. Don't say no to God. Don't ever say no to God. But then the psalmist and the Hebrew writer continue on to another place. For they talk about the place of refusal. Now we need to go to, if you will, the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, please. Chapter 13, God tells Moses to send out spies into the land. Their assignment was not to see if it was possible to take the land. That was not their assignment. They were to spy out the cities, to look at the people, to look at the land. There there was no instruction from God given in chapter 13 to say, can we take it? No. But when they got back, 10 out of the 12, save Caleb and Joshua, 10 said, No way. No way. The people are too big. Cities are too strong. It's best for us not to even go in. Now there's a problem with that. Because then God said, because of your hard-heartedness, you will not enter my rest. People thought about that overnight, by the way, and then in chapter 14, they overreacted. Moses said, you're not going in. The next day, there were some who said, boy, did we make a mistake. Let's go. I I think we can do it now. Uh, They didn't make it. They were destroyed. Now, we're sort of like that too, aren't we, in our Christian life? We read something in the Word of God, I ain't doing that. I'm I'm not doing that. There would be one time in my life, I guarantee you, one time in my life where I would say no to God. And that is to establish a church in New York State on top of Mount Washington. Just this past week, the wind chill factor was 108 degrees below zero. 
Can you imagine having communion that morning? It ain't going to happen. I, I say that boastfully now. But I think if God called me there, I mean, that's a place where polar bears wear sweaters. <laughs> Penguins have to wear bathing suits. It's too cold. But I think if the Lord called me there, I'd be looking for a heat wave. Maybe not 106 below zero. I think I could handle 85 degrees above zero. But when God brings you to a blessing and he says, take it. And if you say no, then it's gone. That's what the writer of Hebrews, that's what the writer of Psalm 95 is saying today. Do you realize, dear people, that we're not promised tomorrow? We are only promised today. Today is a day of salvation. Today, if you will not harden your heart. Today, if you will listen to the voice of God. Today, this is the opportunity today. Hard-heartedness is dangerous for two people. Obviously, it's dangerous for an individual who has never trusted Christ as their Savior. They can become that disillusioned. They can become that angry with God that they may very well pass from this life into eternity lost. But today, the hard-heartedness can also be dangerous for a believer of Jesus Christ. We can lose all that God has promised to bless us with. We can forfeit, quote, our promised land, a place of rest, a place of blessing. That's what the promised land was. The children of Israel weren't going in there not to work. Oh, God told them there's a whole lot of good stuff in there. Rivers that flow with milk and honey. Clusters of grapes that two individuals would have to carry. They're that big. Oh, there's cities there. Uh, there's big men there that know how to fight, but I want to tell you something. They're nothing compared to our God. You see, if, if you want rest in Jesus Christ, then you've got to go into the, quote, promised land and work. I, I wonder if maybe, you see, as the 40 years of this wandering nation... They didn't have to do anything. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their food never ceased. They got water when they needed it. God took care of them. And you kind of wonder, when they got to the promised land, God is saying, 
Now you're going to have to work. I don't want to work. I want God, I want you to take care of all of it. Now, if they only had the Apostle Paul as he wrote for us and for them in Philippians, be sure to work out your salvation. This salvation thing is not something we can sit back and say, God, you take care of all of it. God says, I already have. Now, you've got to do something. Work does not gain us salvation. Work is part of our salvation. And they didn't want that. We're not going in. We can't do it. We don't want to work. We can't do it. And so God said, you're not entering my rest. There are two things that the chapter closes with that if we become involved in, it will alleviate a hard-heartedness. We've got to go back to Hebrews chapter 3. First thing, verse 13, but encourage one another daily. Encourage one another. When at the beginning of the service, as I'm sitting here listening to the pianist or music that's playing prior to the start of the service, I hear you doing that, encouraging one another. It's good to see you, but that word encourage is a little bit more than just on Sunday morning. It happens when you notice someone is missing. Haven't seen them for a while. Maybe I ought to give them a call. Maybe I ought to spend some time with them. What are you struggling with? What? What can I help with? Encourage one another. I don't really like that myself. Not that I don't like to do it. But there are times in my life when my wife will say, are you okay? I'm fine. And I'm not. I'm not fine. So that goes both ways. The ability to give and also the desire to receive encouragement. Encouragement is the lifting of burdens that maybe someone is trying to carry all by themselves. That's why I'm so glad I perused the sign-up sheet for the offering of providing meals. What a great way to encourage people. Many of you send cards. I've received cards. Thank you for encouraging me. And I have the pleasure of going and visiting people in certain situations. And, and I, I think I come away blessed more than what I bless them. But it's all about encouragement. When we haven't seen someone, when you notice that around you, you know your group around you, you got your posse, I know that. And 
they're not there, give them a call. How you doing? What's going on? Haven't seen you for a while. Are you okay? The second thing is this. <laughs> Excuse me. In verse 14. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly unto the end of the reality that we had at the start. That means self-perseverance. You can tell by my physique, I used to be, I used to run uh, cross country. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever run through the woods. But as you're running through the woods, you dare not look at your feet because you will fall. The perseverance is this. Who are we focusing on? Oh, daily stuff. Yeah, it, it can grab our attention very quickly. I understand that. But in light of what is yet to come in eternity, what are we really focusing on? How do we persevere? Well, first of all, we read the Word of God. When we get to chapter 12 of this wonderful book, therefore, seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run our race. Always keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's perseverance. That's seeing him in the scriptures. That's hearing his voice from the scriptures. And that is being able to speak to him from the scriptures, even to the throne of grace. Persevere. You've already found out that this Christian life isn't easy. You, you know that. There are moments of when it's downright difficult. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But don't harden your heart to God. Come to him. Persevere. Keep your eyes focused on him. And what is yet to come, encourage one another. Hey, there's nothing wrong with going up and saying, would you please pray for me? I'm really struggling in this area. That's fine. We are partakers in Christ. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about getting those prayer lists of those individuals who have responded with the, with the postcards that came back to church. I've read some of them, by the way, before you got them. Pray for my nephew who's addicted to drugs. That's what it's about. Keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
Let Christ bring you to his rest. We're there. It is still worthwhile following Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Our loving Father, we've seen in your word of what it is, the consequences of hardened hearts. But yet there is also a cure. Oh, may we be known as a church of encouragement and a people of perseverance. Keeping our eyes focused upon Jesus, being involved as partakers with Christ, in Christ, for Christ, that others will know that there's rest at the end of life. So to you be the glory, dominion, both now and forevermore. And God's people would say, Amen.